Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the place where it all began. Whatever the hell that means. It's the Ringing Air Podcast, everybody. It's the show about music brought to you by a couple of fine, upstanding citizens. Just happen to have some strong opinions about music. I'm sorry, I haven't done a proper introduction, but Jeff, what was your what was your new phrase again? Biased and unqualified. Biased and unqualified. Hi, I'm biased. No, no, I'm unqualified. No, no, I'm I'm unqualified. No, see, I got that backwards. I'm unqualified. You're biased. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm unqualified. <laughs> um, my name is Joby. You can call me uh, Ken. You can ah, who cares? You know who I am. Uh, with me, as always. <laughs> My friend, the senior editor at a website called KillBoringMusic.com, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. You should actually go check that out because it looks a little different. Which is really funny considering you, you're doing all of the editing right now on the website. <laughs> uh, it's not much. Actually, I'm not even doing all of it. <laughs> yeah, KillBoringMusic.com, we'll, we'll get to that later. Uh, but I have with me from San Diego, California, where it's apparently getting a little bit hot, Jeff Nail. Uh, uh, I also have Alistair with me in case anyone was worried. He's here causing fucking mayhem. I'm going to be like looking over my shoulder the whole show. Uh, God, what a fucking train wreck of an opening. So Jeff and I yeah. are going. Yeah, this is, this is up there. <laughs> no rust at all. We're just, we're like prime condition. Uh, Je- <laughs> Jeff and I are going to guide you through the scary, scary, scary waters of, of music. We're, we're going to guide you away from some of the bad stuff. We're going to tell you what's good, what you should be listening to. We're taking a little trip back to the year of our Lord, 1990, uh, but we're still going to kind of point out some things that are unique to that time. Maybe some bands that kind of defied uh, uh, defied uh, genres, Con- uh, defied classification. Mm-hmm. Um, I will probably produce the most predictable number one in the history of this show. Shout out <laughs> Artie. There's your hint. Shout out to Artie. Uh, yep. But most importantly, Jeff, what do we do with boring music? Uh, we protest it and we defund it. Ooh, burn. <laughs> Timely yeah. burn. Now that that fucking god-awful worst opening ever is out of the way. <laughs> Jeff, how the hell are you, man? I'm okay. Don't worry about the opening, dude. You know, it's funny. I've, I've learned this much. Um, people love when Alistair fucks shit up. Uh-huh. And I think people love it when we mess up the opening and the closing. Well, they are in for a treat. Because <laughs> uh, we're going to mess it up the entire time. We're going to mess it up. Alistair's already knocked over a guitar and before we even started, so... Uh, this is going to yeah. be glorious. Everyone strap in. And this is going to be a supersized episode on top of it. So it's going to be an extra large fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots of music. So at least you can stick around for that. If you don't want to hear yeah. this, this uh, folly or whatever the hell this <laughs> goddamn garbage fire is. Uh, uh, I thought I could wing it a little better than that. I have to admit, I, I, I am so rusty. It's not even funny. Well, it's been a while. I'm glad we're back. Happy early Father's Day, by the way. Oh, same. Yeah. Are you uh, are you do you know what you're getting for Father's Day? Oh, well, I know what I'm not getting. It's a day's peace and quiet. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) You know, it's funny, though. Uh, We've been real careful around here. I know uh, the rest of the world is totally loosening the restrictions on uh, lockdown and everything because they want to get their nails done or whatever the fuck. But uh, we are actually locking down even more because the, the trends are actually going up to a second surge. And mm-hmm. uh, But we do have a friend of the family who's going to come over tonight and sort of at least listen to the baby monitor so Casey and I can get out of the house. And I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. 
Yeah, but we're gonna leave the house, I guess, and that'll be fun, I guess. Yeah, it's it's tricky. It's hard to uh, hard to find anything to do, even if you do want to get away. I guess maybe I'll just find somewhere to park, and we'll make out for three hours. Well, when you said someone was coming to listen to the baby monitor, I thought that's where that was going, so so we can seal <laughs> off the bedroom and get down to business for a little while. For a good seven to nine minutes. Um, it is it is remarkable how difficult it is to make sweet love with a baby bitching in your ear. Oh, you <laughs> it get is used impossible. to it. It's not, <laughs> just not possible. You get used to it when they're bouncing on the bed next to you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, everyone. Please remember, it's just me. Uh, well, let, let's catch uh, let's catch everyone up. What's been going on with you? How's nine one one? How's uh, Wichita slash? I can't remember. I I, <laughs> I forgot the name of your town. Oh, uh, Park City. Park City, uh, what's going on in, in Kansas? Uh, you know, like you said, everyone just kind of pretended like the okay the virus is done now. We don't have to, you know, do any anything. People are still wearing masks, but not nearly as many as as were uh, before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, like we were mentioning, uh, you know, oddly enough, that's how little is going on in Kansas. We we went stir crazy. Uh, the m- me and Alistair and Erica had to get out of town for a while, and uh, we went to Denver for a couple days and we thought well that'll be good we can get away from everyone go up to the mountains get some fresh air get the hell out of kansas because Mm -hmm. you know just we needed something different well they they had they had some other uh things in mind because you couldn't even get up to the mountains like to the you know the more popular mountains Uh the roads were just closed off yeah we were headed out to uh to red rocks and i mean I, i knew of course there were no concerts and i thought well that's perfect because there's still a park there. We can go drive up. No, we got about halfway up and it was just blocked off. And there were hundreds of people out of their cars, just walking around. Nobody had masks on. We were like, okay, well let's keep Uh, going. Yeah. (laughs) So we just, we kind of just drove around a lot. I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we still had a good time. It was still cool. Um, Nothing kids love more than to be strapped into a car seat for nine, 10 hours at a time. Oh man. You know what? That's the weird thing. He (laughs) killed it. He was awesome. Oh wow. So good. We, we, wow. we like didn't even want to acknowledge it. You know, it was like a like when a pitcher's got a no hitter going, we didn't even <laughs> yeah. want to say anything. We're like, oh, my God, he's being so good. Wow. OK. Uh, oh, and uh, Casey and I have been intermittently fasting uh, where we don't eat at all outside of the hours of 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. And so if I'm a little foggy today, that's why. Because <laughs> so you're this you're is, fasting for eight but then you can eat during the other like 16. No, we're fasting for 16. Oh, so you eat between one and okay. Gotcha. 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 So how's that been working out for you? It's fine. Actually, it does get easier, but it never gets easy. So this is sort of, we're recording this around 10 AM and this is sort of the hardest part of the day. Are you doing any kind of um, like diet, like a keto diet or something along with it or just, just fasting? No, because um, as as discussed before, my my weight issue comes from an endocrine issue that that actually is is, is being pretty well uh, treated right now. I'm actually going to be down forty pounds or so from October. Oh so wow! I feel I've been feeling a lot better lately. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So well, the this, this, the fasting thing is just something my wife is doing, and I thought, I'll do it with you. And then <laughs> the first three days, I was like, why did I do this? Right. So, but I'm still doing it. It's been two weeks, so not too bad. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah. I think, you know, you'll, you'll get used to it. It'll get easier. You just got to do it every day. That's the hard part, but it does get easier. Woo! Bojack quote. It gets easier. Huh? Every day, it gets a little easier. Yeah? But you got to do it every day. That's the hard part. 
but it does get easier. Okay. <laughs> I'm just pulling the qualifier out in case I sound completely dopey. Oh, well, <laughs> my qualifier is behind me doing something he shouldn't be, I think. Oh, he's right next to me. Okay, duh. Well, why don't we dive in then? We've got a ton of music from 1990. Like I said, we've got uh, some music from Run the Jewels, a little Code Orange. Where do you Where do you want to start? Let's jump into Code Orange, since I feel like the longer we wait on this has been the longest assignment in the history of the show. Let's hurry up and get that <laughs> cashed yeah. in. Yeah, this this album, uh, this is their new album, came out about a year and a half ago. Uh, no, it's been out about what a couple months, I guess. Yeah. Um, under underneath is the name of it, and I've I've liked Code Orange from pretty much the first time I was made aware of them when I started hearing them on on the radio, on which I mean you know satellite on Liquid Metal. Of course. Serious. Um, and I, I didn't really listen to them a lot, though. I'd heard the songs. You know, I knew the singles or whatever was getting played on there, but I didn't sure. listen to the album a whole lot. But I really liked it. Then they came out with this. The, the first song they came out with was the title track underneath, which uh, are, oddly is the last song on the album. I find that so I interesting. Noticed. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first time I heard it, I didn't really care for it. I guess just kind of a knee jerk reaction because it wasn't, you know, what I expected. Uh, but it didn't take long for me for that to really grow on me a lot. So I was, hmm. I was pretty excited to kind of see what what the album had in store for me. And um, I really I need to thank you because you you basically just gave me a giant gift with that assignment. Um, th <laughs> this album is astounding. man. It is just phenomenal. I got I got this feeling that I got when I was listening to it. And the last time I had this feeling uh, was listening to the Callous Dowboys because I would put it on. And I, honest to God, had no idea what was going to come next. Like, no clue. Yeah. It just kept me on kind of on the edge of my seat, just wondering what is, what in the hell's going on? What are they doing here? to it in my car uh, one day and I could not tell I mean this sounds like a knock but it's not I couldn't tell where one song stopped and another began because they were all so batshit crazy <laughs> yes. like they just they don't yeah. follow a formula you know it's like god is this no. the same song is this a different song and I, oh shit this is the same song I was listening to a minute ago it's yeah just, it's amazing and I love that by the way I love mm -hmm. it when there's a certain amount of chaos especially within a song Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, it's hard because I'm trying to kind of thread the needle here because it, it's hard to praise this without sounding like I'm maybe kind of crapping on bands who kind of, you know, by, by Code Orange standards, kind of play it safe. Because mm -hmm. uh, there are tons and tons, especially, uh, you know, in heavy music, there are tons of good young bands out there who are just killing it. But it's the whole other, whole other level than what Code Orange is doing. Code Orange, it's just, uh, what's the word? This bra uh, nah, not bravery. They're brazen, maybe? Is that the word? It's, no, I think actually this actually borders on avant-garde at times because it is so uh forward thinking, I think. Mm -hmm. Like I don't I can't even come up now I should I should qualify this. I actually don't love this record, but there's nothing quite like it. Mm-hmm. 
you know yeah. like i can't can you come up with anything i mean i heard i heard shades of early 90s ministry in there because there's there's a touch of industrial in most of the songs but i mean other than that i can't think of anything maybe a little cattle decapitation i don't know well the you know when i was listening to this you know some of the industrial you know influences and whatnot you know my my frame of reference is fairly small so i i did hear some ministry i heard a little maybe ramstein but i i even heard like some of the more recent stuff like author and punisher um yes yeah you know, some like not not just the same old you know because i think a lot of people think industrial they think ministry you know that's like all they all they well all sure no uh, but this is something else altogether like there's some ministry influence in there but they're they're just all over the place and it's just so ballsy i think so many bands especially such young band uh, would not have the balls to do it or if they did try it they wouldn't have the confidence to pull it off there are some quiet moments here which i actually really relish because so much of it is chaotic and and kind of a difficult listen but they they totally go overboard well in a good way by this left field level of heavy, you know, like mm-hmm. those moments of quiet are really quiet, but they then you're just avalanched with with noise and industrial flourishes, which I kind of appreciate and riffs that cut really hard. Um, I don't really love the mathematical elements of the songwriting, which, uh, you know, I, I think is it's just my my taste. Like for some mm-hmm. reason, I prefer the more melodic stuff. I really liked Bleeding in the Blur as a, I thought that was a really strong single from the last record. And uh, I think the song I like best on this is Sulphur Surrounding, which is another one that ha- actually has more of a melody. Mm-hmm. So that's just my preference, though. Which song did you land on? What are we listening to? Well, I chose the song Cold Metal Place, and I honestly can't remember why, (laughs) because there were a few I was kind of torn between, and I didn't know if I should pick something that was more metal or something that was more melodic. I think I went with something quite a bit more metal. Yeah. Since I started, you know, going to shows again here in the last few years, they are definitely my biggest regret that I missed them. They played a, a dive bar here in Wichita that probably holds about 200 people. And mm. I, I couldn't I mean, I could have probably, you know, if I would worked hard enough, I could have gotten gotten there but i just didn't go and a man i'm still kicking myself over that <laughs> actually that reminds me if you ever make it out to san diego uh we've got to do it at a, uh, during a time where i can take you to our local metal club which is actually really close to my house Sh- shout out to brick by brick here in san diego it's a really good metal club and it's smaller but in a way it reminds me of the old showcase theater oh sure except uh not all ages which you know i it's sort of selfish but i'm like yeah so what <laughs> right. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, all right. Well, let's. We that's a lot of code orange talk. Let's uh, move on to my current, if you don't mind. Yeah, you uh, you're gonna give us a little dose of some uh, some brand new, actually brand new. Look how timely we are. Brand new hip hop. I know. Let's talk about it. Run the jewels. Over the moon I was when I learned that Run the Jewels was dropping their fourth album early. And uh, they made it free. I mean, I think it's pay what you want. And, and, and then the pay what you want goes to a charity. And uh, it's so good. Have you listened to it? Uh, I've listened to the song that you've chosen. Oh, gotcha. OK, yeah. I have a feeling that Run the Jewels had a quick discussion and thought, these protests are happening. This is a real moment. Let's get in on this because not so much get in on it, but this is this is a time when the world needs uh, run the jewels. And I couldn't agree more because there there've never been more uh, cutting and sociopolitical. And the guests, even like a guest like Two Chains or Pharrell Williams, are actually really good on their tracks. Uh, this features TV on the radio's David Sitek. Uh, it features Zach De La Roca with some. Awesome cuts. Uh, Zach actually ends up. He, by the way, I've I've been saying his name wrong for 25, 30 years. It's Zach De La Rocha. I'm sorry. Please don't correct me. I'm always going to say it wrong. Just deal with it, everyone. It's Rocha. Uh, Zach has some real cutting lines like uh, murderous chokehold cops still earning a living. And look at all these slave masters posing on your dollars. Uh, it, it is it is the perfect time for this. And uh, it's hard hitting. And and I don't think there's any filler on here. It all hits hard. Mm. What did you think mm. of the song that I picked? Well, OK, so I have a like a slight confession about Run the Jewels. Um, I think LP and uh, Killer Mike are both like super, super cool, like cooler than they have any right to be. They're just too awesome. Well, they're, they're our is, age. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, Killer Mike is probably one of the, the coolest people alive right now. But yeah, um, I have never heard a Run the Jewels album all the way through. I've never heard a song more than twice until this song. Oh, um, wow. Because there's nothing. Nothing ever really sends me back. I just don't know what it is. I'm not. It doesn't hook me. I don't know what's I don't know what it is. It just doesn't grab me. At least nothing I've heard yet. But uh, I'm more than willing to to give this a shot. I, like I said, I think they're cool, and I have you know, I, I'm, yeah. if it was just thrown on, I would listen to the whole thing. But to think to actually go put it on is a whole other story. <laughs> like I never think, oh, I should listen to Run the Jewels right now. Run the Jewels, we back on our shit, and it's cold as from the ages one to four around the age of five you shipped away for your body to be stored they promise education but really they give you tests and scores and they predict in prison population by who's going the lowest and usually the lowest scores the poorest and they look like me and every day on the evening news they feed your fear for free and you so numb you watch the cops choke out a man like me until my voice goes from a shriek to whisper i can't breathe and you sit there in the house on couch and watch it on tv the most you give is a Twitter rant and call it a tragedy. But truly the travesty, you've been robbed of your empathy. Replaced it with apathy, I wish I could magically. Fast forward the future so then you can face it and see how fucked up it'll be. I promise I'm honest, they coming for you the day after they coming for me. I'm reading Chomsky, I'm reading Bukowski, I'm laying low for a week. I said something on behalf of my people and I popped up in WikiLeaks. Thank God that I'm covered, the devil can smother and you know the evil don't sleep. Dick Gregory told me a couple of secrets before we lay down in his grave. All of us serve the same masters. All of us nothing but slaves. Never forgetting the story of Jesus, the hero was killed by the state. Just got done walking in the snow. Goddamn that motherfucker cold. Just got
The funny thing about this is it's so prescient. You know, it, it feels so of the moment. But these lyrics were all recorded last year. Well, you know, some some themes never uh, never go out of style. You know what I mean? Uh, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Did you see the the speech that Killer Mike gave in Atlanta a week or two ago? I didn't. No. Oh my God, that was amazing. Because I mean, I'm sure he had maybe some talking points in his head, but mm-hmm. he said when he walked up and took the mic that he wasn't planning on speaking. So it was mostly just off the cuff, and it is fucking amazing. I got a lot of love and respect for police officers, down to the original eight police officers in Atlanta that even after becoming police had to dress in a YMCA because white officers didn't want to get dressed with niggers. And here we are 80 years later, I watched a white officer assassinate a black man. And I know that tore your heart out. And I know it's crippling. And I have nothing positive to say in this moment. Because I don't want to be here. But I'm responsible to be here because it wasn't just Dr. King and people dressed nicely who marched and protested to progress this city and so many other cities. I'm mad as hell. I woke up wanting to see the world burn down yesterday because I'm tired of seeing black men die. He casually put his knee on a human being's neck for nine minutes as he died like a zebra in the clutch of a lion's jaw. And we watch it like murder porn over and over again. So that's why children are burning to the ground. They don't know what else to do. I'm glad they only took down a sign and defaced a building and they're not killing human beings like that policeman did. I'm glad that they only destroyed some brick and mortar and they didn't rip a father from a son. They didn't rip a, fa- a son from a mother like the policeman did. Killer Mike actually is one of the few uh, black celebrities who are pro-Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know what his stance is on it. I- I'm, I'm actually I was raised with guns, so I've, I feel like I've got a pretty good understanding of it. But the thing that I, I didn't learn back then when I was being raised, that is, is that, you know, the only time that uh, there was a well, not the only time, but there was a national push for gun control was when black people started carrying them. Exactly. <laughs> I do like that idea that I'm like, well, maybe there we could get some common sense gun legislation if we just get the racists in the in the country to go, oh, shit, we have to do something. Right. <laughs> Job, should we jump into the elephant of the room? Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, move on. Uh, we're spending a considerable amount of time this episode talking about the year of our Lord, 1990. Uh, I was a junior in high school in 1990 because I am approximately 82 years old. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it was interesting because when you brought this up, I mean, you know, automatically I knew, you know, why? Because it's 30 years and we should look back. Um, Isn't that weird? 30 years. It's been 30 years. Yeah. And I, I just, I didn't instantly see any music that moved me when I looked at what came out 30 years ago. Wow. Uh, the longer I looked, I started to find a lot of stuff I was, you know, nostalgic for. Uh, that I listened to back then, but a lot of it I didn't feel like aged really well. 
Um, so it was really interesting. I actually had to dig a little deeper than I thought I would, and I'm still not sure. I don't think you're going to like at least two or three of my songs. I don't know if the <laughs> listeners are going to like any of them. So it was, you know, it would have been easy to just be nostalgic and go through the whole list with bands I listened to and what, you know, what I listened to back then. Yeah. And I considered doing that because like I said, some of it didn't age well and I was willing to, you know, kind of rip it up. But, um, I, I kind of inadvertently developed a little bit of a theme for the most part. I've got all acts that are kind of hard to, categorize i mean they they are categorized of course but mm -hmm. they don't they're not the cookie cutter you know they're, they're not the same old stuff so uh but you on the other hand it was just raining music for you 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 had so much to choose from <laughs> yes so, uh tell me about how how you narrowed it down well i you know for, uh, first off just let me add uh, i was actually in the eighth grade in 1990 and I think I started the eighth grade in 1990 and it sort of represented a time for me that was pretty transitional, pretty formative. And you know, it's funny. I can remember people being really excited. And maybe this just affected me because I was, you know, 13 or whatever, but I can remember people being really excited for 1990. And, and, and at the time, I think everyone expected it to be sort of just an extension of the eighties, you know, but, but in retrospect, especially going over the releases of music, the 90s right away really weren't like the 80s, meaning that it was a pivotal time in so many ways, which which things in which things started to shift away from the baby boomers a little bit. Cultural conventions mm -hmm. started to be questioned, you know, and, and, and artistically, it felt like people were more open minded looking for other perspectives. And I should mention also that in my mind, 1990 is the year that hair metal died. I know people attribute that to Nirvana, but. I mean, going through hair metal recently for that episode that I did with with uh, Tom, I actually had a hard time. Like once you get to 1990, it's already kind of dying. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a short, short lived, I guess, wasn't it? So the early half of the decade is is pretty interesting to me. Uh, well, at least <laughs> if nothing else, it's more interesting than the latter half. Do you do you agree with that? Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what 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 happened in the latter half? You know, the latter half is sort of where pop came back. That, that was oh. the Spice Girls and the Backstreet Boys in a lot of ways. Uh -huh. Right, right. Not that there weren't, you know, we still had new kids on the block in 1990, but I feel like that was, you know, that was the end of something as opposed to the beginning of something. Okay, that makes sense. My picks are going to be kind of different, though, uh, in the sense that I am eschewing, I am not acknowledging extensively my actual favorites. Uh, there will be no public enemy. Fight the power that be. Fight the power. Bad religion. There will be no Fugazi. Otherwise, that would be a pretty boring episode, I think. Well, I um, commend you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I was unable to keep from doing that because my number one is like just so on the nose. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, that's fine. Uh, my criteria for this is that I wanted to highlight how pivotal th this year was for music. And it, it had to be my picks. I wanted to be emblematic of change mm -hmm. or open mindedness. I wanted to celebrate the weird to a certain degree. And I wanted it to hold up. Like I think every list I do, that's sort of the number one thing is I want, whenever we look back, I want to go, what holds up? I want to find it and celebrate it. So that's what I'm doing. Okay. Fair enough. 
Well, as it turns out, I don't know which one of us is going first or last, but for this uh, first song or first band anyway, it really doesn't matter because this is the one and only that we agree on this episode. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. We're going to talk about Primus's debut studio album, Frizzle Fry. I remember, I still remember like first hearing Primus and the thing, you know, you said about holding up as much as Primus went on to disappoint us and their <laughs> there are many, many fans over the years. When you listen to these first few albums, there is nothing like it. Nobody sounded or still sounds like Primus. defy genre classification I, f- I feel like that makes holding up a little more likely mm-hmm. maybe I-, I haven't really thought extensive that just occurred to me so I'm like well yeah that do does that work I think that works when you carve your own path mm-hmm. maybe that's you know you look back on it and you're not hearing the touchstones of the era you're just hearing what it what it was because it was so different and that's certainly what Primus is and was is different still to this day yeah they're still they're still very much their own thing they're unique yeah child a self-financed debut studio album which i i find pretty cool uh they had already released suck on this which was a live album do you know suck on this very well i don't i remember it but i don't remember exactly what was on it i i think it had some of the same songs didn't it i think so just live versions of some of the same songs yeah i think so um then this is by the way i I really love it when artists have the balls to, to pick a favorite this is les claypool's favorite primus record Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, why do you like it? Well, like uh, like we touched on, it's just, it's so unique. I mean, there's nothing, especially back then, which I'm trying to remember if I heard this when it came out or if I backtracked to it. I, I don't really remember, to be honest, but mm-hmm. there was just nothing like it. Um, it had this this weirdness to it that other heavy music didn't have, but it was heavy. That was the crazy part. It's still somehow, somehow. Yeah. You, you hear Les Claypool's voice and it sounds really weird and kind of nasally. And reedy. Yeah. Yeah. The guitar lines like in a lot of the parts of the songs were kind of like trebly and just kind of weird noodling. But then all of a sudden it would all come together with these monstrous riffs. Like, holy shit. What are these guys doing? They call me Mr. Know-It-All. I will not compromise. I will not be told what to do. I shall not step aside.
that were bass-centric. The guitar is completely, mm -hmm. uh, practically a fifth wheel here. It's, it's almost mm -hmm. inconsequential. Which I guess is probably why it was so trebly and thin sounding because <laughs> the yeah. bass has pretty much got yeah. all the heaviness handled, so. Uh, prior to age 30, this only resonated to me as a memory from high school t-shirts. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think I was briefly interested in Primus when My Name is Mud sort of hit MTV. Mm -hmm. I want to say that was like 93, but I bought that record and I, I didn't love it all the way through. So I kind of let them go. Uh, mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was much older that I went to Frizzle Fry and I was like, what does this sound like? And I immediately loved it. I remember seeing Jerry was a race car driver on Headbangers Ball. That might have been the first time I heard them. I don't know, because I remember watching the video and going, what is this? Why is this on Headbangers Ball? And that's on the the one that came after this one, Frizzle Fry, right? The, it's Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Yeah, it's on Seas of Cheese. And and I thought, well, did they get this mixed up? Like, should this be on 120 minutes or something? This is. Yeah. And, and then it got to that part, you know, that part where it was really heavy. And I was like, oh, yeah. what the fuck? What are these guys we, doing, man? We should totally put on the heavy part of Jerry was a race car driver here. Just just so people can appreciate it. Yeah. You know, Primus is, I mean, I've told this before, so I won't dwell on it, but they are probably the single biggest surprise I ever saw live in terms of what I expected and what I got. They blew me away. You don't expect them to sound so good. I, I've always heard that about Primus because, you know, they're a quirky, like arty, funk bass based bass based band in like in, and there's a fair amount of psychedelia in it they're from san francisco like they're weird in every possible way it's like mm -hmm. frank zappa meets dr demento so you don't expect to to see a band like this and get your balls rocked off right yeah not at all and i i even remember the exact moment i don't remember how far see i should have i should have done my research because i could have found out i don't know how far into the set list they were uh, but they played another song off Seas of Cheese. They played those damn blue collar tweakers. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing there, except it's a little softer, a little slower before it gets to that heavy part. But when it got yeah. to that, the way they built up to it, it just mm. blew my doors off. And oddly enough, that was uh, they were the opening act for uh, Public Enemy and Anthrax. So that was a unique bill. I was just going to ask you, who do they play with? Because I always find that interesting. Because here's the funny thing about Primus. It doesn't matter who they're playing with. They always seem out of place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They played uh, They played second on the bill. Uh, the, the group that played first was a group called Young Black Teenagers, uh, a Caucasian rap band. Oh, boy. They, uh, they didn't get booed off the stage, but when they were done, everyone was very appreciative. Everyone <laughs> applauded very loud. <laughs> <laughs> they only play for like 15 minutes. I wonder if Primus has gotten a fair amount of uh, indifference or, or vitriol because, you know, like like we've been they've come up a number of times on the show. And I think every time they come up, we go, they're not for everyone. And it's true. Yeah. They're not. I was going to play the opening track because I'm such a whore for a track one. But do you have something you'd like to play more? Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I'm fine with playing that. If I were, if, if you hadn't have picked uh, Primus and I was going to pick my own, I probably would have picked 
Uh, I would imagine too many puppies mm-hmm. or maybe pudding time. Did you shit again or are you just farting really bad? What is going on in this <laughs> diaper? Oh, dude. Did he shit? Yeah. He must have had a little <laughs> leftover. All right. Well, go change him and I'll, I'll play the pudding time for everybody. All right. I'll be back. <laughs> Man, we haven't talked this much shit since we did our Funny or Die episode. Oh, my God. That was disgusting. That was <laughs> so much worse than I was expecting. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are we talking here? Oh, man, it was like, you know, like it wasn't straight up, you know, liquid. It was just real thick. And it like was all up, all over his balls, all up in his <laughs> thighs, like the cracks of his legs. And he's getting older now, too, so it gets even like it's it's like more like regular shit than it's ever been. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sometimes when he's, you know, the st- sitting there, he'll he'll poop and I'll, I'll open the diaper and it just looks like a regular old human turd, like a just a full grown, <laughs> you know, the shape of it, the way it's tapered yeah. at the ends. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like some stranger just walked in and shit in your kid's diaper for him. Yeah, it's it's unreal. But, you know, like I told you, he had already knocked one out here before we started recording. And so I could smell it. And I was like, oh, OK, he must have had a little <laughs> left in there. But no, it was worse than the first one. All right. Well, that's you know, there's so many things going on. We could talk about Primus all day. But, you know, what, to be honest, I don't think people like Primus, largely speaking. So maybe we should just move on. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably for the best. Well, who's uh, who's going next? Uh, well, I, I guess I'll just jump in. OK, go ahead. So uh, let's do a palate cleanser. I'm going to go over to the world of pop music for this next one. And my wife's going to be very happy about this. This is her favorite artist of all time. She just said the other day uh, that she's been meaning to get a George Michael lyric tattooed on her for some time. And she's she, she always brings it up and then, of course, doesn't do it. But I, I don't doubt that she will do it someday. And it's from this song. The, free, the song is Freedom 90. And I'm actually highlighting this just as uh, evidence of being great music from 1990 in the the context of the single only. I went back to the album, which was Listen Without Prejudice. And you know what? It's not wonderful. But this song, Freedom 90, absolutely is. Do you remember this song or much about George Michael from this time? I I remember this song pretty well, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I remember. I mean, it was kind of ubiquitous. It was you couldn't really get away from it. I I probably remember more... uh, more George Michael than I would imagine if I actually went back and, you know, listened to some. This is a transitional album. He tried to get away from the more pop-centric 
uh, angle to something uh, of more of a somber mood. I think he wanted to be taken more seriously. Uh, but Freedom 90 is actually a pretty dancey number. Uh, and it's it's I think it's one of the few times that he was truly autobiographical. Uh, at this point, he'd been in the industry for like 10 years. He'd he'd been there and done it with Wham. Uh, he he'd had the biggest record of 1980. God, I think it was 87 or 88 with with the Faith record. And the gigantic popularity from that caused him to sort of inspired him to write this song, which is as much an examination of the self as it is a manifesto against the music industry. At some point in your career, George said at the time, the situation between yourself and the camera reverses. For a certain number of years, you court it and you need it, but ultimately it needs you more. I don't know if you remember the video, but this was sort of um, seen as career suicide at the time because he would not appear in it. Instead, he got supermodels to star in it and lip sync the lyrics. He set on fire or exploded three iconic images from his earlier career, which was a Wurlitzer jukebox, a leather jacket, and his guitar from the Faith video, all destroyed. The video was directed by uh, a guy that you've probably never heard of. His name is David Fincher. (laughs) If you can believe that he was kind of coming out. Well, he wasn't coming out, but he was coming out and declaring to the world. I won't be your pop bitch anymore. I'm going to be who I am and you're just going to have to deal with it. And the song just happens to be really good. And I don't think we get to celebrate uh, pop music as often as we should on the show. So I was happy to pick this. Is it a good song? It's catchy. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Um, uh, with, <laughs> with all due respect, if you want to say something bad about it, go ahead. With all due respect to we all know who. <laughs> it's just not for me. It's just not. You yeah. know. It's. It, I won't say it's a bad song. It's just not for me. It's definitely catchy though. Yeah. It's got a hook and it. You know, it digs its way into your brain whether you want it to or not. So. I'll give it, you know, credit where it's due there. It's just not, you know, not my thing. You know, uh, one thing you might appreciate is uh, the, the sample, the, the beat on here is sampled from James Brown, uh, James Brown's Funky Drummer. So that's cool. 
Um, this is one of my favorite pop songs of all time. So there you go. Okay. All right. Uh, so that is George Michael. Like I said, the album isn't isn't wonderful, but the single is beyond reproach in my eyes. Uh, what have you got for number four? Uh, my number four is the one I am picking as the one you will probably like the least. And I'm pretty okay. confident in that. Um, <laughs> so when I went back to look at where I was as a music fan in 1990s, a junior in high school, it pretty much broke down into three groups, uh, metal, blues, and uh, guitar-driven music. Not necessarily blues, but, you know, bluesy. And that's kind of it. That's where I was at. So I went back to look at some of the old albums that I listened to back then. And like I said, it, a lot of them really didn't hold up because especially at that point in time where I was with playing the guitar and whatnot, I was more obsessed with the the abilities of the uh, guitarist as a soloist versus them as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some of the albums from that, that era just kind of fall flat. So I went back to one I really hadn't listened to a whole lot. I went back to a, an album called Midnight Stroll by a man named Robert Cray. I know you know the name. Have you ever listened to Robert Cray? Uh, not to where I would remember it, no. Well, Robert Cray, I mean, he's, you know, I think he's, you know, among guitarists and I guess among blues fans he's pretty much up there with the big guns you know but I still feel like he's kind of like the underdog or he's kind of underrated compared to like you know Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan and all those guys mm -hmm. so I went back and I listened to some of this and Robert Cray has got such a unique sound uh, be it his voice be it his guitar playing uh, everything he does just sounds different I mean it's not it's not turning anything on its head necessarily, but at the same time, well, I should say, I can always tell as soon as I hear him, even if I didn't recognize his voice, which I do, I would just be able to tell from the way he puts songs together. They don't seem to follow just that same old one, four or five, you know, progression that so many blues songs do. Yeah. I mean, he might throw one in there on an album, you know, one or two to appease maybe some, some purists or the, something, but purist, yeah, he, yeah. he kind of walks this line between, fairly traditional but also a little more actually kind of poppy in a way yeah so uh, I, I picked a song called move a mountain and the reason i picked this one is because this one knocked me off kilter as soon as i put it on it starts he always has a, a couple of uh hornists not quite enough to make a nest only two but um they're called the memphis horns they open the song and it it sounds like i knew where it was gonna go and then it just went off like it went an extra i don't know i'm not musically educated enough to really express it the right way probably but it sounded like it went like an extra half a measure or something like it just i thought it was gonna okay. stop and it kept going and then it dropped down a note like it just didn't sound right in a good way yeah yeah And so that hooked me and then from there on it's a little more traditional almost like a cross between like a slow blues and kind of an old almost like an old 50s song or something it, it just had this feel to it yeah, but, there's uh, a there's a soul blues yeah. quality here because it's I, I was going to say, I, I hope you don't mind. I jump in a little bit here because I actually ended up liking this. No shit. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad that it's over. And I'm strong enough to see. You used to move the mountains, baby. 
it's way too clean. Like as far as blues goes, I can appreciate it when it's clean, but I don't necessarily like it. Uh, mm-hmm. His playing is so good that I'm, I'm almost like it's already good enough. I kind of wish it was a little dirtier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing is, do you like his voice? Because I go back and forth on it. I mean, I guess I do. What I like about his voice, though, is the more about the way he sings, if that makes sense, rather than it's the phrasing. sound of his voice. Yeah, because okay. he, but that ties back into the songwriting, I think, because he doesn't you know, the, the song doesn't necessarily go in a predictable way. So when you might expect his his phrasing to kind of go a certain way, he'll go the opposite direction. And that's what catches me off guard, uh, which is what I like. Yeah, I'm actually down with that because blues blues treats vocals sort of, you know, in a way where it's it's almost incidental a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like kind of an afterthought for a lot, a lawful lot. Yeah. And I feel like Robert Robert actually has a lot of style in his voice. Yeah, it's weird. Even when it's like a blues band where it's not even the guitarist who's singing, the singer still sounds so just generic. All right. That's Robert Cray. You know, I really only remembered Robert Cray from stalking him because, you know, it's there, it, in the small blues section that we had. And I'm sure yours was similar. You only have a handful of artists and he was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I remember he had he was like he had kind of a hot streak there. This was, uh, I think, the album after his really big kind of, you know, crossover. Oh, damn it. I'm forgetting the name. He had like he had one song that kind of broke through and then he rode that wave for a little bit. Smoking Gun. That was that was the name of the song. Smoking Gun. amazing as i look at his discography he has basically never taken a break it's like every two to three years he has another album working musician yeah you're right even to this very day yeah he's he's got got an album out right now brand new yeah i'm gonna have to check that out and see how he's how he's doing well look see he's age two we were just talking about how old we look in the mirror he's he looks different (laughs) as well so yeah well i'm very (laughs) glad you liked it i'm i'm a little surprised that's awesome well, don't get me wrong. Like there is sort of a vibe of adult contemporary here that I don't love, but I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a deal breaker for me. Right. Yeah. Well, good. So, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's keep this, uh, this trainer rolling here. What is your number uh, three? My number three is, um, a pretty nostalgic pick for me. And in, in fact, it's so nostalgic. I found myself asking myself, uh, uh, is this as good as you think it is? And I'm, I'm going to lean on you to, and I know you're a fan of this song as well. So maybe you're not the best judge either, but this is LL Cool J's best song. Uh, oh, mama okay. said, knock, yeah. mama said, knock you out. Uh, the album is also called mama said, knock you out. It's funny, uh, because a lot of my picks, some of my picks are more about the singles than the albums. The, this, much of this album is an extension of sort of, a the walk with the Panther era, LL. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like he's, he's a cool buff dude who makes sweet love. And, uh, and, and so like, there's a lot of R and B radio tracks on this, 
uh, he'll go back and forth between like an R&B vibe to like a new Jack inflected MC flexing thing. Uh, but I, I like it better when he's flexing and he, he never flexed as hard as he did on the title track. Yeah. Hugely formative song for me personally. It's the ultimate hip hop flex. And you know what's crazy to me? This will age you as well. How old was LL Cool J when he recorded this song? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so this was 30 years ago. Let me see. I'm going to say... I'm going to say he was 24. He was 22. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and the crazy thing, the sad thing about this is, is to me, this is as good as it got with him. Yeah. And he's like, well, peaked at 22. Man, <laughs> you know, that sucks. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what, what are your memories of this song? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't, I almost didn't even go back and listen to it before the show because I was like, I know that song backwards and forwards. I don't need to listen to it. But I went ahead yeah. and listened to it anyway, just to make sure, like you said, make sure it had uh, held up and aged like I thought it did. And I think it did. I, I think this is like just an all time classic hip hop song. I remember it being like the lead single, but this is the fourth single off this album. Was this, a, were the other singles uh, songs we would know? I think Around the Way Girl was the biggest one. You can break parts and manipulate minds or surrender, act to be gentle and kind. You always know what to say and do. Cold flip when you think your man is playing you. Not cheap or petty, you're ready for loving. You're real independent, so your parents be bugging. But if you ever need a place to stay, come around my way. I think he is pretty spread out. This album, like I say, it, it's not great. I remember really liking Around the Way Girl. I listened to that the other day, and I was like, meh, not great. <laughs> uh, so, But this song is so strong. Uh, yeah. This is a, this was inspired by his grandmother. Uh, I guess he uh, was, was feeling a little... I don't know if insecure is the word. He was concerned that there were other younger, uh, hotter rappers coming up. And he was telling his grandmother this for some reason. <laughs> and his grandma said, oh, just go knock him out. And uh, and so he he wrote a song about knocking them out. This is actually also uh, a chapter in a long running beef with Cool Modi. Do you remember Cool Modi very well? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, him and LL went back and forth sort of indirectly as it went on. But but LL would reference him for like four different albums. I just think it's hilarious that he was you know feeling insecure that that the younger rappers were going to take over at the ripe age <laughs> yeah. of 22 yeah i'm 21 years old 22 years old i don't know these kids today and he had to even <laughs> he had to even preface it with saying don't call it a comeback at 22 no one's calling it a comeback dude yeah yeah it's it's funny the you forget how insecure uh, kids in their 20s really feel by the way uh this is a yet another song that sample samples james brown's funky drummer no shit <laughs> so, something that ll and george michael have in common
you know what needs to be done. You need to mix the two together, make a mashup. <laughs> if I can. Oh, I'm sure you can. I finally uh, put my finger on a couple songs. I was trying to think of what songs I actually remember of his. I mean, I remember Bigger and Deffer, but not real well. So I'm remembering like going back to Cali from, I think that was yeah. from like Lesson Zero from the soundtrack or something. And it was on was, Walking with a Panther. I know that. Okay. And then there was like doing it. Yeah, that was, that was like 96. See, you know, it's weird. It's, isn't it strange when someone more or less doesn't release an album that's entirely good, but they managed to just string like songs through their whole career and make a career. Yeah, That's just, a, it's amazing. I don't know if I like it or don't like it, but it's just so weird. I'm sorry. It was uh, doing, it wasn't 96. It was 95, I think on that Mr. Smith record. And I remember selling the shit out of that record. Do you? <laughs> yeah. If you look at the cover, I guarantee you'll recognize the cover. Oh, let me, t I'm, I'll, I'll take a look here. You know, another thing that'll make you feel old is, oh, yeah, of course. I can't see this album cover without a sales sticker on it. <laughs> Honestly, if I'd have looked at it without knowing what it was, I probably would have guessed it was a different album. I, I would have guessed it was like DMX or something. I don't know, but I definitely recognize okay. it. I mean, I've seen it tons and tons of times. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my wife had a relative, an older, of course, relative ask her if she knew that uh, LL Cool J used to be a rapper before he was on NCIS Los Angeles. <laughs> right. And she's like, uh, yeah. LL is a better rapper than he is an actor, I think. I think everyone on that show is probably a better rapper than they are an actor. Oh, oh, but I totally forgot something. There's something funny about uh, Primus I need to tell you, uh, but it also ties in. I was going to tell you the New York Times at the time referred to LL in relation to this album as the most articulate of the homeboys. Oh, God. And I'm telling you, man, that makes me cringe so hard looking back on it. Oh, man. <laughs> and then. Then Robert Crusteau, I always say his name wrong, I think. It's C-H-R-I-S-T-G-A-U. You know Robert Christgo, right? I, no, I don't think so. He's been around way too long, but he's been bad forever. He's a, a really famous music critic, and he, re he regarded Primus like he had almost nothing to say about them other than it's Don Knotts Jr. meets the, the Minutemen. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. <laughs> so that's that's two bad takes from New York Times, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, my God. I got a virus cold coming on. Sure hope the bug don't get down on my larynx. So do you remember the unplugged version of this song? Oh, absolutely. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> what the hell was in his armpits? Was that just deodorant? I think so, yeah. Wow. No, that was, that was amazing. That was... Um, that was kind of groundbreaking, I think, for a lot of people. That really opened people's eyes to what you could actually do with hip-hop, you know? I have written down right here, kind of terrible, yet brave and groundbreaking at the same time. Yeah. Which is quite the needle to thread. Well, you know, I haven't I haven't actually seen it or heard it in a long time. I don't remember it being all that bad. Was it pretty bad? Um, No, no. It was just... Uh, I think the arrangement needed work. You know, there was a lot uh, of a lot of chaos. You yeah. know, there, it's, it wasn't like Mama said, knock you out with a drummer and a, and a bass player. It was like two guitarists, a full band. It was more than he needed, I think. Right. But yeah. at the same time, it was just this unhinged energy from him. 
And in the middle of it, they would actually, I think they actually used Black Crows, a, um, a part of Hard to Handle, to sort oh. of buffer the song between verses, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was sort of bad and good. Huh, okay. Huh. Anyway. I have to go back and listen to that as well, man. I've got a lot of homework from this one. So, anyway, what, what, uh, what is your number? Do you want to, uh, sorry, do you have more to say about LL? No, no, no. I was just going to gonna segue on. Just, well, I was going to, I guess, non-segue and <laughs> just go on. Um, go ahead. Reset well, if you want. What I was, uh, was going to say, you know, I, I alluded earlier. You know, I had to kind of, I wanted to, I didn't have to. I wanted to tread lightly. Uh, on your uh-huh. George Michael pick because uh, it, it's it's one thing when you're talking about something that you don't necessarily like and you're kind of being loose with it and kind of talking shit and yeah. you're like you know what that's probably going to make somebody mad because there's probably somebody listening who actually likes this it's totally different when you know for a fact someone who loves that is going to listen that makes it a lot different <laughs> There's like this accountability. The only thing that can make it more challenging is when you then pick a band, you know, that person hates and talk about that as well. (laughs) I, this is, I could not be happier about this. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I was like, Oh my God, I'm not trolling Casey. I swear to God, I'm not. I just, I mean, this is where I was at in 1990. This is one of my, one of my nostalgic uh, picks because um, we're going to back to uh, uh, to Seattle. Did we already mention Seattle for some reason? I, I don't know. I can't. Rem- no, I don't think so. No, that was probably ten episodes ago. You old shit. Um, no, we're <laughs> going to Seattle. We're going to the the grunge movement, but we're going to a band. I really, I guess it's they probably don't mind that they rode that wave a little bit, but I don't really think of them really as a grunge band. I'm talking, uh, of course, about Allison Chains. I always thought they were a little more like kind of on the metal side. I mean, it's hard to imagine any other grunge band like, you know, opening up the Monsters of Rock tour or the uh, yeah, whatever it was. Clash of the Titans. Was it Clash of the Titans? Monsters of Rock? I don't remember. I don't think it was. It might have been Monsters of Rock. I don't think it was Clash of the Titans. But Maybe I'm wrong. Either way, they were playing with, you know, Metallica, Ozzy, whoever, you know, these metal bands. I, it's hard to imagine, you know, Pearl Jam, you know, playing that gig or, you know, yeah. which also, to be fair, they're not really grunge either. But so, you know, their debut album, Facelift, came out on 1990. And I was kind of just taken uh, taken with it from the from the minute I heard it. I know we've talked about uh, Alice in Chains some, and we have... Yeah kind of we're kind of all over the map a little bit with you know we do like some stuff not so much others but did you hear this when it came out in 1990 i did and just real quick uh they were on the clash of the titans tour with slayer megadeth suicidal tendencies and testament 
Wow. So, yeah, kind of a weird pairing. And, of course, they opened, so that had to be tough. <laughs> yeah. You know, I the only real early memory I have of Allison Chains of this album is, and the album is Facelift, is that I hated Man in the Box. And I still hate mm. it. I hate that song. Yeah. But I do remember being affected by it because at the time, like I said, it was like hair metal kind of ruled the airwaves still. And this wasn't hair metal. It was scarier. Yeah. That's... um. Uh, you know, I went back and I listened to a handful of songs off the album to decide what to play. And uh, one thing that a lot of them had in common that I didn't ever, I guess, realize probably what drew me in somewhat was just they had such an eerie kind of a sound. It was, I mean, mostly Lane Staley's voice, but even yeah. the, the harmonies with him and Jerry Cantrell, the way their voices complemented each other was just almost kind of spooky. Just this real creepy kind of sound. I have written here, Staley's vocals are way more sinister than, say, Kip Winger's. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. It, it really did feel like the 38th parallel where where uh, hair metal ended and something else began. Right. Like an anti-Reagan cultural shift or something. Now, quick uh, quick story. I don't know. I don't think I told this before. I did see uh, Allison Chains once. And here we are talking about them opening for Slayer and Suicidal and all those bands. I saw them open for Van Halen, and I'm talking Sammy Hagar Van Halen, of course. So yeah. that was also a pretty unusual pairing. In a lot of ways, Allison Chains is like Primus, where, I mean, don't get me wrong, you can pair them with plenty of bands that, does, that do make sense. But I think they were on the cutting edge of the Seattle mm-hmm. scene, at least mainstream-wise. And, yeah. and they were there at the same time, if not earlier than Soundgarden, I think, in most people's yeah. minds in, in right. the, on the timeline, you know. Well, when I when I saw them, uh, they were very good. I, I thought they were really good. Uh, however, the interesting thing about that show was that I believe someone might have slipped me something um, on the way to that show. Oh, really? Yeah, I went with three or four friends from high school. And when I say friends... Uh, some were closer friends than others, but I knew them all. We, Dudes you knew. <laughs> yeah, we, we had classes together. Uh, we stopped at a Taco Bell to get food somewhere in, I don't know, we might have been in Orange County by then. I don't know. because we were, Well, it slow was down. At, uh, where, where were you headed? What show was it and where was it? It was, it was at the uh, Pacific Amphitheater in Costa Mesa. Oh, yeah. And uh, we were already on the road. I can't remember exactly how far we got, but we stopped to get food. And from that point on, I acted completely out of character for the rest of the night. Wow. I remember driving. I I drove. I was I always drove every time because I was the only one who had a car, I guess. Uh And plus, at the time, I didn't you know, I didn't mess around with anything. I didn't drink or anything. So I was always safe to drive. I remember driving down the freeway and man in the box came on the radio and I got real excited because we were going to see them and I started, uh, you know, how the, you know, that rhythm, that bonk, bonk, bonk. I started doing that on the horn, going 70 down the freeway. (laughs) Always a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, why not, right? And then it didn't let up. Like I, I kept that kind of like manic energy most of the night. I remember uh, when the singer, when Lane Staley would say something between songs, I would answer him from the lawn. I would scream back and answer <laughs> to him. 
Uh, I remember answering Sammy Hagar. I, I mean, I was it was not me at all. I mean, it might be me me now. I don't know, because now I would have other things to uh, make me act that way. What would it have been, though? I don't know. And I don't know how they would have gotten it to me, but it wasn't me. Always the, I the idea of slipping someone like just another dude, you knew, you know, for example, as opposed to like a date rape situation. Like it, mm -hmm. I guess neither really makes sense to me, but but this doesn't make sense to me because I'm like, why would people give away their drugs? You know, like I'm going to surreptitiously get rid of this thing I spent money on. What is that? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, back then, shit, maybe it was, you know, a guy's brother was a tweaker or something. I, you know, who knows? I mean, I knew people who could get free drugs. I think we can agree that, that people doing drugs typically aren't the most level-headed folk. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that was a real interesting show. And yet, as excited and amped up as I was, Van Halen was still just meh. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that funny? Yeah, but that's kind of how I feel about Van Halen anyway. <laughs> so. Well, I, I think a lot of it, in my opinion, a lot of it had to do with Sammy Hagar. I just I felt like he was just kind of uh, almost like going off a script or something, you know, like it was just another show. Oh, I see. OK, like winging it, was just, it. you know, yeah, they were just like, eh, it was just another another show for them. But uh, back to Alice in Chains here for a second. You want to listen to Bleed the Freak. Why that one? Because I think that one kind of exemplifies what I was talking about in, in terms of the eeriness. And uh, but also then it moves past that and goes into this just wickedly heavy riff and then it kind of channels back and forth between the two you know the two settings of the okay. soft kind of eerie melodic part and then the really heavy part like blood from a stone stumbled across that I had kind of forgotten that I really liked a lot is called It Ain't Like That. So you might want to oh, just check that one out. I know that one. I know that one. And I do like that one. Yeah. Yeah. quick i i was googling the alice in chains the other day just just to kind of i can't remember what i was 
see, I don't know facelift very well. So I think I was looking into that. And uh, one of the websites I came across compared them. They, they, they kind of said like Black Sabbath meets the Stooges. And I wasn't sure what to make of that comparison. What do you make of it? Mm, yeah, I'm not really sure if I hear much Stooges in, in them at all. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Huh. I mean, you could hear Black Sabbath pretty much in anything, you know, on the periphery of heavy music. But uh, but yeah, the Stooges, I didn't quite get. Maybe someone will chime in on Facebook and, and set us straight. I would, yeah, I'd be interested to hear hear where the Stooges come into play on that. We're getting down to our number two. I can't remember. Do we even do we even explain that we're doing a, a five pick today? We just jumped right in, didn't we? No, we just we just warned people it was going to be an extra uh, supersized episode, <laughs> yeah. and uh, they could just they could just deal with it. <laughs> my number two was almost my number one until I revisited my number one, and I'm pretty psyched to talk about that one. But I really want to make a big deal out of Depeche Mode's best album. of those cassettes that i got accidentally because i had signed up for columbia house mm-hmm. <laughs> and i it just it just turned into one of those cassettes that they send you every month and i i forgot to send in the card to not send it and i was in the sixth grade i think or maybe it's the seventh now that i think about it i love this record i still love this record and i think we've talked about depeche mode before but maybe not i was really eager to see what you thought of this because i know you know it but i have no idea whether you like depeche mode or not i guess the short answer to that would be a pretty resounding no to to poppy to electronic what yeah yeah i think it's the electronic factor mostly i've never been a i see i get the two guys mixed up it's what dave Gahan and Martin something Martin Gore I don't know which one's which but whoever's the singer who which one's the singer well that's that's actually what's confusing is they they both sing mostly Dave Gahan does singing but oh but like on okay. on this record Martin Gore sings oh what is it I think it's waiting for the night he sings that song and they sound so similar I didn't know that for a long time uh, that Martin hmm. Gore over sang, but apparently he sings more often than I ever. Well, obviously I didn't know he sang at all, so obviously it's huh. more often. I had no idea. To me, this is a dividing line because I don't really like any of Depeche Mode's early stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I like this album the most, and I sort of have a passing appreciation for everything that came after it. But I, and I know it's sacrilege. I think you know Black Celebration, et cetera, et cetera. People love that stuff, but I, I never really liked it very much. <laughs> I think this is the first record where they met up with the producer named Flood. You know Flood, right? Mm-hmm. And he adds a lot to this record. I really do think 
you might appreciate this if you gave it a full listen. He adds uh, some arrangement that really fleshed out their sound and some texture. And these came off of sparse demos, which I also think kind of held. This is sort of a different approach for, for Depeche Mode. Uh, there's these sparse demos turned into these really expansive songs. And, uh, you know, a good example is Enjoy the Silence, which began as like this little ballad in demo form. But, you know, once you add some layer to it and, and you add a pulsating percussion, it, it's a completely different song and a top 10 single. You remember that one, right? You know, it's funny. I, I know I remember it, but I can't honestly remember how it goes or anything about it. <laughs> so um, I really liked Depeche Mode because especially with this record, I think they were able to live in both sort of the 80s synth pop world while also flirting pretty aggressively with the darker alternative rock sort of sphere. Mm -hmm. um, the lyrics are pretty excellent. And the quality of the songwriting is the only thing that kept this band afloat during this time. I think they would have died in the 80s without this record. That's probably true. Well, I did know... Um, I guess maybe a handful of, uh, of people who really liked Depeche Mode, which always kind of uh, confused me because, you know, they would listen to the music I listened to, you know, to a, a large degree. But then they liked Depeche Mode and I just couldn't see the yeah. parallel there. Um, but, you know, to be fair, considering where I was at my headspace in 1990, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I would if I could at least get an appreciation for it, even if I didn't, you know, out and out like it. I'm sure yeah. I could at least appreciate it if I went back. I had forgotten how formative this was for me because it, it didn't make a big splash with me, but I think subtly it was, you know, it's a step away from Def Leppard or, you know, Peter Cetera or whatever the hell I'm listening to in grade school. Like this is darker. It's more complex. And I was able to access it even as a 12 year old or 13 year old, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I would like to highlight this had a ton of singles on it. This had personal Jesus policy of truth. Enjoy the silence. Uh, but I want to highlight a deeper cut, which is Halo, which is a song about betrayal. And uh, I really like the lyrics here. There's this part where he says, bring your chains and your lips of tragedy. Uh, a little melodramatic, but I, I totally forgive it. I, I really like this song.
by the way, the name of the record, you might appreciate this, the name of the record Violator was a joke because they were trying to pick the most metal-sounding album title. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. What did you think of Halo? Anything there for you? Nah, not really, no. Okay. No, I mean, like I said, I, I think I could appreciate the album as a whole, maybe. And I do remember most of those singles. Policy of Truth, I think, is the one. Well, no, Personal Jesus, of course, I remember. Yeah. That was probably the, was that the biggest hit off the album? I don't know. I actually think Enjoy the Silence was a slightly bigger hit because I think that was the first single. But uh, mm-hmm. but I think Personal Jesus is probably up there. Okay. And that's actually, I think that's that's the song I first liked when I was a kid because it had this really accessible blues riff, a very simple one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was easy, you know? Yeah, I get you. Okay. Uh, that actually makes me curious to go revisit it. That's funny, you know, like some of the other albums we've talked about and I think, oh, I should really go listen to that. But that's the one that I'm actually curious about, you know, like I should, I should give it a shot. Uh, just listening to it this week, I found myself going, which don't get me wrong. This isn't rare. This happens all the time. But I thought, I wonder what this would sound like on a record, on a, on a, on a vinyl copy. I think we're going to have to do maybe like a mini sode about records and about albums since you've kind of di- dove, divin, divin, you've divin, divin back in, <laughs> you've divid, you've divided in. Yeah, I dived um, in. <laughs> um, because honestly, you know, I got a record player thanks to my friend Booker. He uh, actually just gifted me one because he had one kind of fall in his lap. So I went out, I was super excited to go out record hunting, you know, find some stuff to bring back and listen to. And... I'll be honest, man. It just didn't do it for me. Like I'd, yeah. I'd rather just listen to an MP3 or MP4, whatever the new, you know, whatever the, I'd rather listen to a digital uh, copy. I'm kind of in the middle because I have a stereo setup that I got from my dad, but I had to like, I had to work on the speakers cause they had completely disintegrated, not completely, but the, you know, speakers have to be sealed mm-hmm. and, and all the sealant had completely disintegrated and I had to replace that. And once I did that, it made a difference, but I'm kind of in the middle where, um, it's not convenient, mm-hmm. but I do like playing it on the stereo as opposed to what I have my computer hooked up to. So there's that. I haven't really seen huge differences in format, but occasionally I do. And it is pretty stark. Hmm. So, yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to discuss that further. That sounds like a, a topic we could really explore a little bit. I actually invited both the Wurtz brothers to do this with us one day and we, we sort of let it go. But we could certainly rekindle it. Yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be interested. All right. Well, I guess I should move on to my number two. Yes, please. Now, this one is the, the opposite of my number three and my number one, because this is a band I did know of in 1990, uh, but I was not listening to at all. And since then, in the years since, in the three decades since, God, yeah. I just had to say that out loud to let it sink in for a minute. Uh, in the three decades <laughs> since, I've kind of, uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan. You know, I've really not listened to as much of them as I probably should. But I've just really come to kind of respect and admire them because, again, they're just kind of a unique band. And I'm talking about Los Lobos. A very talented group of musicians, yeah. And, I mean, uh, you know, the the lay person or the, you know, just average Joe might only just think of them as a one-hit wonder with La Bamba. yeah. But they are so much more than that. They really are. And it just it just it took a long time for me to realize just how special they were. They're just so unique. What I'm referring to is an album called The Neighborhood, which I vaguely remember the cover. Don't remember it too well. But they had the big hit with La Bamba in I think it was like 88. 
eight, I want to say, or 87. Seven or eight, yeah. And they actually put out an album after that called La Pistola y el Corazón, The Pistol in the Heart, which I really have to respect this. It's basically all... Uh, Tejano mariachi music it's all in Spanish yeah. like they had this this chance to just explode and they just <laughs> like no no we're just gonna <laughs> we're just yeah. gonna do our thing and I respect the hell out of that even though at the time people probably thought they were insane maybe people still do yeah it's almost like they're like oh white people like us now well we'll see about that <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> oh well so anyway um the neighborhood was the album after that and um it's, a, I guess, what you'd call what maybe a safe album because they did get more experimental as they went on. Uh-huh. And this one doesn't have a lot of huge surprises, but I think it would still surprise a lot of people how eclectic it is. trying to think of words to describe Los Lobos, all I can think of is eclectic. There's almost nothing they can't do. And pretty much that's all of that is evident on this album, on The Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I, I could have chosen a kind of a bluesy rock, you know, guitar-driven rock song. There was a, a song or two that have kind of a twangy, almost country vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The one I've chosen is kind of in the middle in a way. Uh, this is the second song on the album. It's called Emily. And uh, this song actually features a special guest. Uh, Mr. Uh, LaVon Helm uh, has some vocals and some mandolin on this track. And I just thought, I don't know, I was really torn between what song to pick. But I thought this one was a kind of, like I said, in the middle between not being too much of a bluesy song, but not being, I don't know, not being too country. It's just... I just feel like this is the kind of song that would surprise people who didn't know what Los Lobos could do. This is actually my favorite song from you this week. Ah, I, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. <laughs> Emily, look how much we have grown.
Lobos, but I, I never did. Although I, you know, as a fifth or sixth grader, I remember listening the shit out of the La Bamba soundtrack. Oh um, yeah. But when you're that young, you're like, yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips plays good guitar, right? Ha <laughs> 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 ha. Uh, this is good because there's some serious shades of early Steve Earle, which is kind of putting it backwards. I'm sure if anything, Los Lobos influenced Steve Earle more than the other way around. And I'm guessing the lead guitarist really appeals to you on this. Yeah. Yeah. The guitar work on, on the entire album is just really, really solid. Uh, and you know what's funny? Uh, the two, well, what I would consider to be the two main guys, the faces of Los Lobos, David Hidalgo and Cesar Rosas. Mm-hmm. And I will bet you $1,000 you know which one is which, even if you don't think you do. Why? Does that dude with the sunglasses not look like a Caesar? Oh, he does. Yeah, I guess he does. <laughs> I, I was like, I guarantee that's that guy with the sunglasses. I guarantee it. Uh, Los Lobos are so good, uh, and it kind of bums me out because I, uh, I I always forget this because one one of my favorite records, period, is Paul Simon's Graceland, and Los Lobos mm-hmm. appear on this, and I'm pretty sure Paul Simon fucked them all the way over on royalties. Really? On that, yeah. I th- there was a big controversy. There was a number of controversies on that record, I think, but this was one of them where uh, they appeared on one of the later tracks and. And, you know, it was such a huge record, and I don't think they made a dime off it initially. I think they had to sue Paul Simon to get paid. Oh, wow. So, yeah. But I can definitely hear their genius in this song. So uh, bravo to you for finding something. Don't you love, and granted, maybe this isn't something that we really need to kiss our own dicks over, but, you know, don't you love, like, as an older guy, going back to what you might have listened to if you had been an older guy back then? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like this totally speaks to me now in my forties somehow. Like, you know, yeah. It's, well, it's, you know, the, the thing about it, it just goes to show that really, you know, good music is timeless. It really is. Well, really good song. It's like a Mellencamp, but a little more authentic or something, a little more interesting. I don't know. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I'm, I, I've, I've kind of hit a couple uh, solid, not maybe not a home run, but a couple of good solid doubles. I didn't think I'd get today. So I'm, I'm happy with that. So are we are we to your number two or your number one? Well, I was just about to say, you know what time it is. It's time for Man of War to chime in and say number one. Number <laughs> <laughs> one. Uh, yeah, my number one is uh, it's well timed uh, because lyrically this really kind of speaks to sort of what RTJ is talking about. Brilliant lyricist uh, with a, a, a and one of my favorite sounding voices he's just got a timbre that's just so good and i'm speaking uh, of of ice cube mm-hmm. and we've we've talked about ice cube on the show before i don't think we've really circle jerked it but today i'm gonna try uh <laughs> <laughs> this is his debut solo record from 1990 called america's most wanted spilled with spelled with three k's And uh, I hesitated including him here because we've already mentioned him one. And I like the the record that came after this a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But this record is so incredible for a few reasons. First off, exceptional production. I mean, it's 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 so much more sophisticated than what he what he was doing with N.W.A. in in the way the tracks sound and the way they're produced. Got any last words? Yeah. Yeah, I got some last words. Fuck all y'all. Switch. Was America willing to maintain order? No matter what the cost. His hubris 
has gone up considerably. And, and a lot of times that's a put off uh, for me, you know, when, when musicians are really swaggery. But this really works because he's coming out of N.W.A. on his own and he's not hesitating for a second. You want to know how uh, ambitious Cube was? He left NWA in December of 89, and he re- began recording this record the very next month. Oh, man. In, in January of 90, of 90. Now, as we all know, if you've seen the movie... The split, the NWA split was acrimonious and litigious. And I think at the time, people were wondering if any of these guys could live without the group. Mm -hmm. Cube not only lived, he thrived. He stayed angry, became more confident. And this record is amazing. I mean, Joby, just imagine, imagine if you left a successful group, how would you feel? I don't know about you, but I'd be scared shitless, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. To leave the nest? It's a bold, bold step, man. It's a bold step. And he he hooked up with his cousin who goes by the name Sir Jinx, who would work on a lot of his stuff. Maybe even he still does. And uh, it became a critical and commercial success. This charted without the support of a lead single or a video. Um, I cheated a little bit on this. I chose a song called Endangered Species. And I know I, I promised no bad religion, no Fugazi, no public enemy. But Chuck D actually does guest on this track. So I cheated, Job. Uh, that's that's forgivable. I mean, you know, I don't blame you at all. And, you know, I'm, I honestly can't remember hearing this entire album. I'm sure I've listened to it, but I don't really remember it. But listening to this this track, the, the production is good. It's I mean, it's good all the way around. But what just puts it over the top is just the energy. Like you can just hear the fire in him. You know what I mean? You can tell. Yeah. Even coming from that successful group, which I you know, I, I don't really remember if they were rolling in dough by the time they they collapsed or whatever. But either way, he still sounds hungry. He still sounds angry. And that goes so far with making something resonate with me. Well, he had plenty to be angry about because he got fucked out of royalties. Speaking of <laughs> royalties yet again, uh, NWA, Easy e and their manager, J- Jerry Heller specifically, uh, really left the rest of the group out of the majority, of, you know, the lion's share of the profits. So Cube was hungry in more ways than one, I think. Well, it, it sure shows. And I forgot to mention that uh, the Bomb Squad actually worked on this record. I, I think it's only one of the Shockley brothers, but I, I, I can't be sure which one. But anything with Bomb Squad on it, you know, obviously I'm in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the lyrics here, they're sociopolitical in a way. I even knew it, it in the eighth grade that this was political in ways that my parents would never, you know, never be able to understand or, or refuse to understand. I don't know. It's it's yeah, it's a document of ghetto life and drug addiction, but it also deals with institutional racism, which is torn from the headlines this very day. And I think this song in particular really will really speak to that.
that's endangered species, which not only speaks to us today, it also predicted the LA riots that would come two years later. Yeah. You know, two, well, two quick things about, about Ice Cube. Can you imagine if you played that for your parents and they you showed him showed him this <laughs> album cover where he looks very menacing, very yes. scary. Yeah. Sh- showing him this album cover, playing him these songs and say, guess what? In 20 to 25 years, you're going to pay money to watch him in a friendly, a family friendly comedy. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, bullshit. Get out of here. A number of them. A number of them. I think there's at least three. <laughs> yeah. He will be one of the most <laughs> successful family movie actors. Uh, but also. Um, I can't remember what year it it, it was, um, but uh, this sounds really weird to say now, uh, but back in the day, probably, I guess, early 90s after high school, I started listening to an awful lot of talk radio, uh-huh. uh, specifically KFI AM yeah. 640, which is fairly conservative. It is. It, it wasn't it didn't seem so conservative back then. It seemed a little a little more rounded. Well, I think I think KFI's their flagship was syndication of Rush Limbaugh. So there you go. Well, yeah. Well, so they also have for a while had a, a show hosted by uh, former LAPD police chief Daryl Gates. Oh, that's right. And. Daryl Gates, I don't know how this came about. I don't know who was responsible for this, but Daryl Gates, for the entirety of a night's show, which was either two or three hours, his one and only guest was Ice Cube. Wow. It was the most riveting thing I had ever heard in my life. I recorded it because I knew it was going to be on and I knew it was going to be fucking incendiary. I recorded it. I had it on cassette. I have no idea what happened to it. I have no idea what year this would have been. It probably would have been somewhere between 92 and 94, maybe. And it was fantastic because, I mean, I think that both sides were trying their hardest not to be just out and out assholes to the other. And they were having a very, very hard time doing it. (laughs) But, I mean, it was great. Yeah, I, uh, I... That had to be hard for Cube because he's significantly younger than than the you know, and I know Cube is a confident guy, but that's that's a that's quite a, a culture clash. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, like I said, I don't know who made that happen, but God bless him. Wow. If, if there if the audio exists of that, I I recommend everyone seek it out. No kidding. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to go from this. Th- this record stands up. I'm glad they remastered it because I remember even when it came out. I, I, sh- I, should, I shouldn't say that. I don't remember when it was brand, brand new, but I do remember listening to it when it was relatively new and it was sort of quiet uh, where it wasn't, you know, l- sort of like, do you remember buying cassettes and some cassettes were just louder than others? Yeah. That's, yeah. It's kind of, this one was on the quieter end and I'm, I don't think they have that problem anymore, luckily, but because this is an album that deserves to be played very loud. Oh, absolutely. If you're not pissing people off with this, you're not doing something right. Yeah. And speaking of loud, you're number one. Let's pay this off. Oh, my God. Oh, (laughs) woo! here we go, everybody. You ready? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Artie, are you listening? My number one. Artie moved away from San Diego not too long ago. I have some news on Artie. Shout out to Artie, who now lives in North Carolina. I think it's... I, anytime someone tells me they live in North Carolina or South Carolina, I immediately mix them up. Yeah. But he's out in the Carolinas, and his wife is pregnant. I don't know when they're due. I think it's sometime this summer, but he's having twins. So, oh, my God. Fucking yikes. Wow. <laughs> San Diego to the Carolinas. 
My gosh. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. yeah, he just in case people don't remember, already like to make fun of us for talking about the Afghan wigs and helmets specifically. Specifically helmets. So guess what my number one is going to be? <laughs> 1990 saw the debut release from Helmet, Strap It On, vaguely uh, suggestive. Um, yeah. Now, to be fair, full disclosure, I had not found Helmet in 1990 it wasn't until uh meantime came out that i actually you know heard helmet same i had to work backwards to hear this but when i go back and listen to this i mean it just it still speaks to me it's not the best album there are songs that are kind of weak the production's not real great it's kind of a borderline bad production on some of it yeah. it's just so it's it's noisy for the sake of being noisy i feel like either that or it's amateurish <laughs> Yeah, and this this first record was on Amphetamine Reptile, who specialized in that, in noisy for noise sake, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, there are some things I don't love about it, but, oh, God, there are some good songs on here. <laughs> I uh, I really struggled because I didn't know what song to play. My favorite Helmet song, or at least my favorite riff in a Helmet song, is on Blacktop. up going with was FBLA and the reason I chose that is because I feel like that is just the the essence of helmet in in a song it's the perfect way to show someone this is what helmet was because it's a deceptively simple riff that is made to sound far more complicated and and, and heavy thanks to the drums mm-hmm. because Johnston here I feel like really just was as important to that band as Paige Hamilton maybe more so I I honestly cannot imagine that those first few albums with any other drummer. I cannot imagine how they would come out. Yeah. 
need to reemphasize this, but I will, in that uh, John Stanier is, I think, one of the only reasons, maybe one of two reasons I can come up with that I ever picked up drumsticks. Really? Yeah. That, 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 I didn't huge. realize he was that big of an influence. He was, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And oddly enough, you know, a guy who's an incredible drummer, who, who is, whose skills go far beyond what I think the layperson would hear, and and still, I heard him play, and I went, "Can I do that?" <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's something, all right. I actually, I don't remember a few of the songs at the end, the back half of this album, but that first like six songs or so are just knockouts. I, I mean, I I love every song up through at least through Blacktop. I don't know those last three. Blacktop, I remember being my favorite. Uh, that or Sinatra, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I almost picked Sinatra just because it's such a different sounding song. Because yeah. uh, it also kind of marks what set them apart as well. But it, it's a little a little monotonous. I, I like it, but it's a little, yeah, you know, a little draggy. I can't move her. Yeah, well, this album, like you say, this album is not without its flaws anyway. Yeah, yeah, but just uh, when I looked at the albums of, from 1990, I was like, oh, I, I feel like I just am obligated to go ahead and just cash in my helmet card on this one. And for a second, uh, and- I thought you were wrong, because I remember this being released after, like, I, I don't know what I thought, because I, I certainly didn't know this at the time of release, but I didn't think this was a 1990 record, but you're right. It actually was released uh, initially on amphetamine reptile in 1990, but then it was re-released in 91. So yeah, it was kind of like that deal with kind of like the deal with Metallica where like some people thought like kill them all was not the first album because it got re-released after ride the lightning. You know what I uh mean? Like it's like it got more visibility. So people just thought maybe that was when it came out, but but I, I'm also yeah. with you where I bought Meantime mm-hmm. after, and I discovered this later because I loved Meantime so much. I, I did, a, did a rewind. I wanted to go back. And I actually, it's weird the things you hang on to. I remember buying this at a mall near my grandmother's house in Riverside, California, and, <laughs> and popping it into a disc man that I think maybe I got for my birthday and being kind of disappointed initially because I wanted more Meantime and it wasn't Meantime. Mm-hmm. And, right. You know, it's it's so much more noisier, so much more noisier, so much more noisy, <laughs> so much noisier than uh, <laughs> than anything that came after it. So, yeah, I, I always sort of liked it. I don't think the song is actually on the record, but I always sort of liked that they wrote a song back then called Born Annoying. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> I thought that I thought that really suited their their sound back then. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, you know, the thing I liked about a helmet, uh, it was kind of the same kind of the same thing that always drew me to a minor threat too. Uh, and I, to, the best way to sum it up is to, well, probably not direct quote, but to loosely quote Beavis and Butthead because the helmet was on Beavis and Butthead once. Yeah. And one of them said, they just look like regular dudes. If you yes. saw them on the street, you wouldn't even know that they rock. Right. And, and that was like inspiring to me because I was in a band at the time. And I thought the notion of having to dress up was ridiculous. Yeah. It felt stupid, right? Yeah. Yeah. And here are guys just wearing fucking denim shorts and T-shirts, just blowing the doors off the place. I'm like, man, yeah. that's the shit right there. And that's another, I think, hallmark of especially in rock music of the 90s, yeah. where it was a reaction to what preceded it, which was eyeliner mm-hmm. and leather pants and all that bullshit. And yeah. instead it was like, we're going to let our art speak for itself. And that really spoke to me in the moment. You know, what's really ironic though, is that if, if I were in a band now, I'd fucking dress up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't dress like hair metal, but I would, I would dress up somehow. I don't know. I'd have to figure it out. I would probably find something other than what, yeah, my, my typical black t-shirt, uh, gym <laughs> short combo. <laughs> fucking cargo shorts and flip flops from Walmart. All right, let's do this. <laughs> So, Job, I meant to do this at the top, but I forgot. Uh, just as a as sort of a, a context for the era, uh, I have sort of a hodgepodge of things that were going on in music at the time. Uh, Unplugged debuted. Do you remember the very first group that played Unplugged? Uh, I I want to say Bon Jovi. No, you're never going to remember it. <laughs> oh, no, uh, no. I think I think Bon Jovi might have inspired it, but uh, the band Squeeze somehow. Oh, dude, I was going to say that. No, oh, fuck. You were going to say? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, well. Uh, also in 1990, Bob Marley's birthday became a national holiday in Jamaica. Uh, Tom- Motley Crue's Tommy Lee is arrested for exposing his buttocks during a performance in Georgia. Gloria Estefan has uh, back surgery. She was in this horrific accident. I can't remember if it was like an air. I think it was an airplane accident. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, but she broke her back. And I remember her making a big splash on the Grammys when she came back. I don't remember if that was 90 or not. But uh, the Blonde Ambition Tour. I really like this about about 1990. Just on a personal note, this is more than you need to know about me. But I officially entered a like full gear puberty thanks to Madonna's Blonde Ambition Tour. <laughs> Because, oh sure, okay. Because HBO had filmed it, uh, a performance of the, uh, from her Blonde Ambition tour, which I think was coming off of the, what was the one with Like a Prayer? Was that the name of the record, Like a Prayer? I think so, yeah. Uh, they filmed that, and there was so much sex going on that I remember watching that l- a lot. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so I look back on this era of Madonna fondly. You can never be too blonde or too ambitious. Madonna, live in August, only on HBO. yourself for the last night of the blonde ambition tour only on hbo yeah it was called like a prayer okay and that was the video that really shook shook a lot of people up right they had the uh, burning crosses and the 
Yeah. And the, the black guy, she had like the black love interest and all that. Well, it was a black Jesus, I think. And, and then here's sometimes I think of 1990 and I go, that doesn't feel like that long, uh, that long ago. But then you realize, oh, they had a black Jesus in a video and white people lost their minds. <laughs> Like, <laughs> no kidding. Like that was okay. That was a long time ago. <laughs> so, yeah, very controversial. But you know, as controversy goes, it doesn't seem that that risque today. Uh, but she did get her "Justify My Love" video banned from MTV that year, I guess. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Axl Rose married Aaron Everly that year, and they divorced 27 days later. Wow. <laughs> uh, Two Live Crew was arrested in hollywood florida later acquitted in 1990 and i i could have sworn that was earlier maybe i messed that up because i think two live crew released their band in the usa record the same year uh, 1990 so anyway i did not know this curtis mayfield is paralyzed from the neck down in an accident in an accident oh god in 1990 uh at, at an outdoor concert i didn't even know he was this ever happened uh stage lighting equipment collapsed on top of him and he he was paralyzed. I did not know that. Oh, my God. How is there not a biopic about him? I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, the other cool thing that happened in, in 1990. Well, <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> I just realized. <laughs> Bravo, sir. Bravo. Wow. Curtis Mayfield got paralyzed. The other cool thing that happened. <laughs> That is fantastic. <laughs> that should be a sound bite, man. That should be the teaser. Holy oh, shit. Uh, allow me to rephrase. <laughs> oh, my God. A, a cool thing that happened in 1990 was that a judge ruled that heavy metal band Judas Priest is not responsible for the actions of two Nevada kids who shot themselves. Um, mm -hmm. It also noted that the, of those two kids, only one died. So it makes you wonder where the second kid shot himself. I don't I didn't look that up. Yeah. Uh, and that had happened five years prior, by the way. Uh, 1990 was also the year that Millie, Millie Vanilli was finally exposed. Stevie Ray Vaughan died. The Cop Rock show had a brief stint on ma on mainstream uh, TV. And uh, and Pearl Jam. I'm going to end it on this. Pearl Jam played their very first show at the off ramp in Seattle, Washington. Nice. All right. Do you want to guess what the top five albums were at the end of 1990? Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, What's on that list? I have the man. top five singles, too, if you'd like to guess on that. God, top five albums of 1990. Um, well, since you just mentioned Madonna, was was Like a Prayer one of those? Nope. Oh, geez. Because that came out, I want to say, at least a year prior, maybe even two. Uh, here, I'll list off some singles, and maybe that'll jog your memory. Rock Set, Must Have Been Love, was the fifth charting song in 1990, followed by MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This. Vanilla Ice's biggest hit, Ice Ice oh. Baby. Oh, I'm sorry. Madonna's Vogue was the number two song that year. I didn't see it when you asked me. Uh, and the number one song that year was Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that does it. I don't think that helps me much for the albums. <laughs> the, top um, al the top albums, I'll, I'll tell you the fifth one at least, was Forever Your Girl by Paula Abdul, which we have, uh, have talked about on the show before, how truly bad a vocalist Paula Abdul was. Yeah, yeah, pretty bad. Um, are there any rock albums on it at all, or is it all popping? There is uh, one rock album, and I never would have guessed it. Oh, geez. Uh, um, Cherry Pie. Nope, it is uh. Pump. Oh, God. By Aerosmith. <laughs> you know, the record with two trucks that we're supposed to believe are fucking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jamie was arrested They found him underneath the train 
Also on the top five list is uh, Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him. Uh, Soul Provider by Michael Bolton. Ooh. And, uh, and a record that is on my Also Rans, Rhythm Nation. Huh, okay. What are, what's on your uh, Also Rans? I kind of, my, my list is a mishmash here. I, I kind of had a few things that I didn't really consider, but I just felt like I should note them because they were important to me, at least at the time. Okay. So as far as metal goes, like where I was at in high school, we had uh, Persistence of Time by Anthrax, Judas Priest, Painkiller, Cause of Death by Obituary, uh, Eaten Back to Life by Cannibal Corpse, and uh, Deicide's self-titled debut. Those three death metal albums were all debut albums, so that was when death metal really kind of exploded oh yeah uh, slayer had seasons in the abyss of course mm-hmm. testament really not a top tier metal band in my opinion but souls of black is probably one of their better albums against the grain came out in 1990 yeah eh, i just didn't really you know explore that too much as far as the guitar playing that i alluded to when i was obsessed with guitar aside from stevie ray vaughn and whatnot uh the two guitar albums that came out that year were uh, passion and warfare by steve Vai. And uh, Eric Johnson, I don't know if you'd be familiar with Eric Johnson or not. Well, um, I know he, him. I know him from stocking his records. That's about it. Okay. Well, yeah, he had an album. I mean, I'm sure he's put out tons of albums since, but he had an album in '90 called Avia Musicom, and he had his one hit was on there. It's called Cliffs of Dover. It was an instrumental song. greatest song in the world but it just shows i mean it's just a showcase for his guitar playing he is an amazing guitarist but again without the song to carry it to the solo who gives a shit right (laughs) (laughs) um uh the black crows debut album came out shake your money maker yeah um and then as far as like what i actually really considered i briefly toyed with the idea of uh trying to pick something off of ritual de la habitual by jane's addiction yeah. Um, but honestly, I mean, I like them, but I've never just taken that plunge. And then the the two, it really just boils down to two. All that to say this. My two also rans torn between suicidal tendencies. They had Lights, Camera, Revolution come out in 1990. You Can't Bring Me Down. That was the song I was considering. Uh, and yeah. Suicidal, by the way, <laughs> never thought I'd make this this parallel between suicidal and LL Cool J, but a- another artist who just strung together just enough songs to have a career, but never made a really good album. They have an awful lot of songs that I know that I think are pretty decent. Oh, suicidal I, does. Yeah, but I don't think I could ever listen to an entire suicidal album all the way through. I've never gotten into them. I just I, I think I actually uh, get a kick out of them more than I like them. <laughs> yeah. Like just the fact that they're that they existed, I thought was cool because they're just yeah. so weird. Really um, edgy for the 90s because a it was kind of a racist time mm-hmm. uh, and they were like a bunch of brown skin people doing metal mm-hmm. and and wearing like cholo attire like they were just trying to scare people and, and they and they think i think they did it well what i liked is i kind of read i read up on them a little bit when i was at one point i was pretty confident i was going to go with this and i thought it was interesting how they evolved because 
you know, they're kind of up there with like, I don't know, maybe like DRI as one of those bands that kind of yeah. bridged the gap from hardcore punk into metal. And as I would read about the different albums, you know, it sounded like Mike Muir was the real hardcore punk, at least initially. And then when they brought in Rocky George on guitar, you know, the guy with the Pittsburgh Pirates hat. Yeah. You know, he was far more metal influenced. And so that started influencing Mike Muir's songwriting and stuff. So they became more metal. Then when they brought in Robert Trujillo on bass, more funk oh, right. kind of incorporated. Like they just kept evolving. And it was, I thought it was cool that like they were all open to keep doing that, to just keep bringing in more influences and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, they're never going to be my favorite band, but that's pretty cool. also like to hand it to Los Angeles because the aforementioned Los Lobos are also from LA and I, I do think there's I don't know if this still exists today but but back then it did really feel like a melting pot and mm-hmm. and I think the music benefited because of that diversity mm-hmm. works y'all well and the other uh, you mentioned uh, during Los Lobos you mentioned Steve Earl Steve Earl had an album in 1990 called uh called uh, the hard way yeah and i i came very very close to picking a song off that called when people find out that's a really good song as well uh so i know you've got a, a ton what were some of your also ran i'll just go quickly on who it was uh the afghan wigs <laughs> hey Artie, the afghan wigs put out their <laughs> debut that year uh not a great record but but there it is big daddy kane uh in excess john doe epmd Cool G rap. Uh, they might be giants. The Black Crows. I actually, I don't think I've ever really spoken about the Black Crows on the show, but uh, the Black Crows are a real pleasure for me. I like a lot of what they've done. Mm-hmm. But that's a conversation for another day. I really think Janet Jackson's best work ever was 1990s Rhythm Nation. You know, one record that I felt kind of bad about leaving off the list because it was. I think it's sort of a classic, even if it's been run into the ground, is Social Distortions self-titled. I need to listen to that. I don't remember what songs are actually on that. I think it's pretty corny, but, but, you know, break these chains, break these chains. You know, it's, there's some songs on there that sound timeless and you know, Mm -hmm. that's not something you got in 1990 very often was timelessness. So I'd also like to mention the Pixies, Bossa Nova, Sonic Youth's Goo, another Chuck D collaboration, actually, at least on one song, maybe two, uh, Jane's Addiction, my favorite Bad Religion album, I think maybe my second favorite Bad Religion album is is at the is against the grain, and uh, and and of course Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet and Fugazi's Repeater. Those would have been my top three, but instead uh, I I chose five others to highlight, and I'm glad I did. It really took a lot in me not to highlight Sonic Youth, though. That's probably my favorite Sonic Youth record. Girl like me. Going anywhere, I ain't never going anywhere. I ain't never going anywhere. 
Goodbye, Hollywood. Listeners chimed in. Uh, I don't think I have to tell you who said obituary, cannibal corpse, and deicide. (laughs) (laughs) That's Um, our our buddy Mike C. Uh, And he's in a band called... Pieces. Peace, pieces. Okay. Not pizzas, pieces. (laughs) Just kidding. Oh, okay. I was like, what, did I say it wrong? (laughs) Uh, Michael N., a buddy of mine down here in San Diego, said, uh, it's Ritual De De La Habitual. The conversation is over. Thanks, everyone, for playing. And uh, it's a a good argument to make. Ritual is a really important record, uh, especially in the midst of the melange that uh, 1990 was of the shifting cultural tendencies and stuff. Uh, Joseph, who uh, he says, Mazzy Star, They Might Be Giants, Sonic Youth, Depeche Mode's Violator, and A Tribe Called Quest had their debut out in 1990. I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, Brandon, uh, pretty predictable stuff, I think, except for, well, he says, he says Fugazi, John Zorn, Jesus Lizard, Pitchfork, They Might Be Giants. But then he says Digital Underground, which is a record that I actually revisited, and I don't really like that record very much. Uh, and so I'd like to hear from him. I wonder what he likes about that. You need to go where they let you do your thing in a cup. And you can take a diagnosis. You see your boy Shot G wrote this to open up your mind. Do you know who I am? Deliverer of the rhyme. My job is to verbally slay suckers like an Uzi spray motherfuckers. The underground is gonna get you. Now pay attention, we're about to enter into a new dimension. Can't you feel the tension? I'm sure you heard the word prevention. So like I said, pay attention. You only need a little bit. You still want another hit? Even if it's homegrown. Yo, you're in the danger zone. He also mentioned the dwarves, the dwarves, Slayer, and Frizzle Fry. And then, of course, uh, Casey mentions uh, Jorge Miguel and... Uh, that's George Michael, in case you don't speak Spanish like I do. <laughs> and I love that we ended up doing this episode. I love the way this ended up because my wife will listen to this. I'm not going to tell her. And at some point, she's going to laugh or get mad that we somehow wedged her favorite artist of all time in the same episode as the band she hates the most. <laughs> well, I have to ask, and I mean, I, you know, she could answer this herself, of course, uh, in comments or something on Facebook. But what, what is it that she doesn't like about them? It's the it's the timbre. It's it's the way the voices sound. It's okay. It's just it just rubs it around. And I totally understand that. Actually, Mm -hmm. I I don't agree with it, but I totally get why it would put people off. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. All right, Joe, we got to close this fucker down. What do you say we wager? Yeah. What uh, what should we bet on here? We've talked about an awful lot of music to bet on. We could do Sonic Youth, the Pixies. We could do Black Crows in excess I think we've already done Slayer and Bad Religion. How do you feel about the Black Crows? Pretty good, I think. Well, I feel like they're one of their hits is bigger than the other. Do you feel the same way? Well, kind of, yeah. I mean, but that's the thing, though, about Spotify. It's so weird sometimes. You're not always... Nope, I have right. a better one. I have a better one. I'm sorry to cut you off. Okay. We should do, we should do Madonna. Oh, okay. Because that's, that's a complete crapshoot, right? Yeah, pretty much. So it's your turn. Oh, that's right. I'm the, I'm the loser. I get to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, Madonna. Oh, Madonna. <laughs> oh, Miss Guccione. What would your biggest song on Spotify be? Uh, I'm just going to throw some old shit out there. Um, I'll just say uh, uh, Papa Don't Preach. 
Good call. I think I'm going to stick with uh, the thing I mentioned it during the show, which is like a prayer. I feel like that was a pretty big song. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah. All right. Let's look it up. Uh, okay. You said Papa Don't Preach. That's a pretty, yeah. that's a true blue song, I think. Speaking of cassettes that I got accidentally from Columbia House. Oh, wow. I win again. <laughs> the number eight song is Papa Don't Preach and Like a Prayer is on twice. One at number 10 and one at number three, which is because it was released on two different things. Oh. Uh, the number two song is Hung Up, which I have no idea what that's from. Uh, hmm. Oh, it looks like Latter Day. Oh, it's from 2005. And then the number one Madonna song on Spotify right now with 136 million plays is Material Girl. Oh, yeah. And actually, I can't believe neither of us said Like a Virgin. That's a huge song. Yeah, yeah, I thought about it. I, I, If I could have thought of the name of it, I probably would have picked the song she did with Justin Timberlake just to be different. Oh, that's right here at number five. I don't know that one by name. It's called Four Minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right, well, shut her down, Job. I'll come up with something to assign you. Hey, everybody. Jeff here, coming to you from the editing bay, and uh, I got Alice in the background. If you hear any noise, that's... Yep, there she is, my Alistair. Uh, I am nearing the end of editing this brontosaurus of an episode, and I just realized that I did not assign Joby any listening after winning the wager, so I sent him a text, gave him the choice between Depeche Mode's Violator or the fabulous new Rosenstock album, uh, which is really very good. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, unfortunately, Joby chose, well, not unfortunately, I don't think, but I think for his tastes, he chose the former. So uh, look forward to what is bound to be a middling review of Depeche Mode's highest achievement in music in the next episode. All right, everybody. Well, that uh, that pretty much knocks this one out. As you can hear the toddler starting to fuss, we're about we're out of time here. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget that we're on social media. We're on Twitter, at The Ringing Ear. We're on Instagram, at The Ringing Ear. You can follow our personal accounts as well, at Jeff Nail, at Books of Job on Twitter. Uh, due to unforeseen circumstances involving a certain Mr. Zuckerberg, my Instagram page, I had to start over. So now <laughs> my handle on Instagram is at Books underscore of underscore Job. I know it sucks. Sorry. <laughs> Plus, I only have like five pictures on there because I always just fucking forget about Instagram anyway. Yeah. You know, interact with us. Let us know what you like, don't like. Let us know what you want to hear in the future. If you have ideas for episodes, by all means, let us know. I think at this rate, we've got enough episode ideas to last for about two years because we're only knocking out like one episode <laughs> every two or three months. Well, yes. Yeah, I think our next one is going to be the one where you try to talk me into Steely Dan. Oh, is that next? Okay. I think so. Hey, also, don't forget to visit KillBoringMusic.com to find brand new things. There's brand new reviews. There's photos. There's links to our Spotify playlist for every episode. That's KillBoringMusic.com, your ally in the crusade against boring music. And a quick shout out to Tom and Serena, who are our new contributors, who are basically carrying the entire weight of the website on their backs. They are our official bloggers, and thank goodness for them. I've had on my list, my to-do list, for like three months. Write a review, for Christ's sake. Well, you know, I don't know, man. Maybe it's just me. When I look at the upcoming releases, I don't see a whole lot I'm thrilled about. Well, and we haven't been. We've been so busy. We're not Johnny on the spot with our, our PR email anymore anyway, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, got, I got an email today from a, uh, like a PR guy letting me know there's a new album out by the band Enough's Enough. Remember them? Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, man. How, how are they still around? 
You know, the funniest thing about doing that hair metal episode with Tom was that he keeps up with all those bands. That's crazy. I don't know if you listen to it, but he's like, yeah, yeah. Kicks tours there. Actually, they had to cancel their tour because of the pandemic. And I'm like, how do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, good for him, man. Shit. Our theme song at the top of the show was written and performed by This Mortal Mountain. Please go to thismortalmountain.bandcamp.com. And uh, Job, I, I, I don't know how many unsigned artists we have on deck, but I always like to tell uh, listeners, please get your friends and bands to contact us if they want to hear a review and get their, their music uh, highlighted on our show. Do you I, have a band ready? We do have a band ready. You sent it to me. You didn't listen to Nine Necks yet? Oh, God, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I can review them. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, Nine Necks is a band out of Albuquerque slash Chicago. Uh, I, I I don't know where they actually are. Maybe one of those places. Maybe both. Uh, they are made up of members who have shared the stage with Death by Stereo and Rise Against. Uh, Nine Necks, they, they actually kind of have a funny sort of uh, bio, logline, whatever you want to call it. Nine Necks is an L.A. Oh, there it is right there. They're L.A. based. Nine Necks is an L.A. based stage. Uh stage one startup that adheres to the late 90s early 2000 post hardcore business model they offer a product that is guaranteed to be tightly packed with venom and anger with an aftertaste that will hit you straight in the feels like all their bio is kind of this tongue-in-cheek thing about how they're a corporation it's kind of funny I and see. Uh, okay referencing hardcore though is a little disingenuous the vocals are kind of uh in in that vein uh, but I get a Hot Snakes kind of squirreliness to their music, and I, I can actually get used to it. I didn't like it at first, and then it, it kind of warmed up on me. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I owe them an apology because they, they – I don't even know how they found us, but they, they emailed me, and it's just like one of those things where you get an email and you think to yourself, oh, I need to uh, address that. And then the next thing you know, you get like 30 emails, and it's buried. Yes. So I mean, I, I'm sorry, that's a shitty excuse, but that's all I've got. That's pretty much what happened. I forgot that they sent it to me. I forwarded it to you and then forgot all about it. Well, the song, the song that I picked is called Ghost. Well, I will, uh, I will listen to it, and I will follow up on my solo episode and just give them a shout-out. Sounds good. Or if I don't, I guess that's bad for them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they care very much. Alistair, dude. Man, okay. we're going long with him today. I, I got to give him some credit. Yeah, well, he's reaching, he's getting to the end of his rope. He tried to pull my headset off, and just now he tried to pull the microphone down, but he's just bored, I think, more than anything. Yeah. It's just, I don't have yeah. enough shit in here. Oh, what are you doing? Don't turn on Pandora. How did you do that? <laughs> Doesn't that blow your mind when they just do shit? You know what he did? He ordered HBO. Well, I mean, you know, if you want to see real sex, you got to get HBO. <laughs> well, we have a, a TV downstairs in the... Um, the remote is like, oh, what do you call it? Like infrared. Like you don't have to point it at the TV. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Erica was just letting him play with it. And uh, I got an email. said, thank you for your purchase of HBO. And I was like, <laughs> what? why did you order HBO? She's like, I didn't. I'm like, well, somebody in the house somebody did. did. <laughs> like, was it the teenager? I don't think so. Uh, was Alistair playing with the remote? Oh, shit. Oh, yep. So playing us out this week is not nine. Oh my god, I'm such an asshole. Nine, nine necks. necks. Yeah. Ghost by Nine Necks. Until next time. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm Joby and I'm Jeff. Uh, this is Alistair, and uh, we're all asking you to. Um, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're reminding <laughs> you. you. We're reminding you. See, 
scripts are not entirely unimportant. Um, <laughs> we're reminding you to keep fighting the good fight, everybody. Slay the simple. Re reject. Reject the rudimentary. <laughs> Slay the simple. Murder the mundane. And by God. Oh, my God, Job. Oh. You forgot kill the boring. <laughs> I thought kill the boring or, you know, maim it. Kill the boring. <laughs> and by God. Be sure to keep your ears ringing. <laughs> well, well, we cashed in on the promise to fuck up the top and the bottom. So at least there's that. We are such pros.
Madonna.